The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Thus says the Lord, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth through the preaching of his word, which begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and in love and the strength to follow on the path you have set before us. Open our ears to hear you speak, our hearts to receive your word with joy, and our souls to be transformed in Christ, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Way back in the 5th century, the 5th century A.D., there was, a, there was a book, another book story, and it was a book written by one of the premier theologians, a man who is certainly one of the premier theologians that has ever lived, that has ever been a part of Christian history. His name was Aurelius Augustine, St. Augustine. The title of this monumental Christian classic is called the city of God, the city of God. The central theme of this book, City of God, is a contrast between the earthly city or the earthly cities representing human society and governments, governments in the plural, and it is a contrast between that, those cities and the city of God. The city of God is it represents the kingdom of God and eternal salvation in the here and now. The city of God. St. Augustine's City of God, this book, represents the city of God, represents the Christian community of true believers. His church, the city of God. Augustine draws a distinction between two, the two cities in this book. He draws a distinction between the city of God and the city of man, the city of man, humanity. The city of God symbolizes the community of those who are devoted to God and seek eternal values, God's values, while the city of man represents those who pursue worldly and temporal interest, self-interest. Now, why should you care about any of that? Well, the reason you should care is because you have to ask the question, which city are you pursuing? Now, think about that. Think about your life. You may not think I'm talking to you, but I am talking to you, each of you. 
and think about what you do and how you live your life and where you put your treasure and where you seek and what you seek to fulfill and what means more to you than anything else. Think about that. And then try to imagine, are you pursuing the things that, of God, the things of, of godliness, or are you pursuing these things with a passion? Are these things of humanity, the world? That's how you make the distinction between the city of God and the city of man. And that's what this novel, this book, is looking at. In this contrast, the city of God can be understood as the spiritual community of believers in Christ, believers of Christ, encompassing all those who are a part of his church, his church. So whenever you talk about a community of believers, you're talking about his church, God's church. And when you're talking about anything outside of that, you're talking about the city of man, humanity, human things, human pursuits. Augustine's work emphasizes the idea that the ultimate goal of human existence, the ultimate goal of your existence, is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And this citizenship can only be attained through faith in Jesus Christ. To attain the citizenship, uh, the citizenship in the city of God, you have to go through Christ. You have to believe, receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and then live a life accordingly. The city of God is the ultimate and the unshakable reality. Now, what does that mean? Well, your rea reality is what you're living right now. Reality is what you're experiencing in your life right now. Reality is the ups and downs that you're struggling with. The reality is the confusion that some of us are going through. Not knowing where to turn and where to look and who to trust and what to do. You got the city of man telling you that you need to live your life this way. You got the city of man telling you that it's okay to do whatever you want. That's okay. And then you got the city of God. If you're a, 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 a resident or if you are a citizen of the city of God, and you got God's morality not human reality or morality. The city of God is the ultimate and the unshakable reality. While earthly city, the earthly city is subject to decay and destruction. All you see in this world, going on in this world today, is decaying and will be destroyed. Will come to Christ is going to bring in a new earth. He's going to restore. We talked about this last week. He's going to restore creation to the way it was. The city of man is subject to decay and destruction. This book delves into the theology, into theology, into facade, uh, uh, into uh, the understanding of human history, philosophy. Human philosophy, 
It explores the nature of evil, the concept of divine providence, how God maintains both the city of God and the city of man in the here and now. Because these two cities are coexisting at this very moment. Although this book was written some 1,600 years ago, the same principles discussed in this book are still valid today. They still apply today. You see, the city of God is a community of believers, and the community of believers, you, God's people, live in the midst of the city of man, a broken, fallen existence society. And you live among all the turmoil and the conflicts that are going on today. If you are a true believer, a true believer in Jesus Christ, and you have received him as your Lord and your Savior, then you're a part of the city of God. You're a part of the community of believers. You are a part of his church. That means that you are a resident of the city of God in the here and now. This obviously means that you, if you think about that, it means that you are not alone. You're not alone. If you were a part of the kingdom of God, you're not alone. because Why? Well, because it is God who has reached out. It's God who has saved you. So God lives within you through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ. But you're not alone in the horizontal sense, meaning that you're not alone because there are others like you, because you are a part of God's community, community of believers. And so when we suffer, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. And when one of us is in need, then we all that we all help each other to help those that are in need. We all pray for one another. You are not alone. You are a part of something bigger, something more grand. When you feel that there is no hope, when you don't know where to turn, and you don't know who to trust, you turn to him. You turn to him. It is obvious. This obviously means that you're not alone, that God, the Holy Trinity, dwells within you. Verse 21 talks about that, of our passage. Jesus, in his prayer, this is a prayer that Jesus is praying. Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus is saying, he is praying, he is saying that his people, his community of believers, his church, are in God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verse 23, Jesus says, I, uh, I in them, meaning the church, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Perfectly one. We're working on that. Meaning the church, God's people, they're becoming one. 
one body, one church. You see, God liberates individuals who then are joined together into a community of believers that would be his church. And therefore, we're not alone. We're not alone. So that's a critical issue that we're learning today, that the Christian community, the church, you and I are an expression of God's love to the world. You are an expression. You and I, as his church, are, ex are an expression of God's love to the church. Isn't that wonderful? Do you ever think about something like that? But maybe you don't feel that you're an expression of God's love to the world. Well, then you have another battle going on. You have whispers whispering to you the lie, the deception of the world. But if you are in Christ and you're part of his church, this, you are an expression of God's love to a fallen world. And what an expression of love that is. God the Father gave his son to bring together a community of believers, one body whom he sanctifies, makes holy in his truth. You have been made holy in his truth. Then God, then Christ, sends us out into the world to make new disciples by sharing Jesus. That's our mission as his church. We commune together, worship together, live together in the world, and go out into the world together. That is a church function. We do it together. We're called to do it together. Please understand what's going on, what this passage is talking about. When God saves you personally and you receive Christ, that's not the end of it. That's just a very, that's an individual picture of what's happening. God is saving his people in its entirety. God is saving his community, his church. You are just a part of that church. It is not just you and me. It's not you and Jesus against the world. And that happens to some people. We, we, God opens our hearts and minds, and, and we hear the gospel. We receive Jesus, and, and, and our lives are transformed. And we think nobody else can relate to it. And we think it's just me and Jesus against the world, me and Jesus against the world. We don't think anybody else can understand that. And there's multitudes of people that have experienced that same thing. You're not alone. You're not to be on a mission by yourself. If you are thinking that you have it all figured out and you're on a mission by yourself, you're going to fail. I got to tell you about a friend of mine going through seminary. He wanted to bring Jesus to the banditos, the motorcycle gang. He says, there's nobody, there's nobody ministering to these bad guys. He was a motorcycle guy. He had tattoos. He was a Christian. And he's saying, well, I got to go out there. I go, and when I talk to him, I go, hey, man, 
Who's your accountability? Like, who are you answering to? Who's walking with you? Like, he wasn't even a part of a church. Think his mentality. Me and Jesus against the world. So he gets into the environment of this brokenness at this bandito gang. And guess what happens to him? Now, he comes in preaching to share Jesus and preaching the gospel. Well, what do you think happened to him? He stumbles and falls. He becomes one of them. He lives a sinful life. He deteriorates down to being one of them. They took, instead of him bringing help and salvation, they bring destruction and decay to him. His life is ruined. He loses everything. But the good news is that God didn't give up on him. God pulls him out. See, that's why you have to know that, that you're not alone, meaning that it's not just about you by yourself. You are a part of a bigger community. You're a part of his church, this church. And we, as his church, commune together, and then we go out together sharing Jesus. And we live together. We share our prayers. We share our needs together as a family, an intimate family. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are more closer, are closer to people in this congregation than you are to your own siblings. And it's not to say that you're not close to your siblings, but you're even closer to people here in this congregation. They can understand you. They can relate to you. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we share Jesus with one another, with someone else, that's what we're called to do. That is our task. When you become a true believer, there are things that you must understand. You are called, uh, when you become a true believer, you become a part of the invisible church what we would call the invisible church. Everybody that's a true believer is a part of God's church, period. The invisible church, because there's no walls. It's people all over the world. In fact, if you met somebody from another country and you start talking to each other, you'd, God, you start resonating with each other. There's something about this person that resonates with you. Okay? But you're called to look for a visible church. You're called to find a true Christian church, a visible church like St. Stephen's Chapel. That's what you're called to do. But there are many things that you've got to know when you're looking for a church, a visible church to become a member of, to become a party, a part of. The first thing you're going to know, you need to know, is when you find this church, you're going to see that it is composed of sinners. Man, the whole thing's filled with sinners. It's the whole thing is packed. The church is packed with sinners. Or even this church, this, this little church is packed with sinners. Pastor Manny, they're all sinners. I said, that's right. That's right. Forgiven sinners. Forgiven sinners. Yeah, that, there's that joke, right? You've heard the joke that if you find that perfect church, don't join it because you're going to ruin it. There is no such thing as a perfect church. So you need to know that right off the bat. There are people that have come to our church that took notes about, well, you know, y'all should have done this and y'all should have done that. And, you should have. and I go, I'm talking to them. I'm like, God, did you get anything out of worship? Did you get anything? Did you feel the spirit? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I go, listen, we're not perfect. We're just trying to get there. So that's the first thing you do. When you're looking for that true Christian church, you need to know that there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's something else you need to be made aware of when you're searching for this church. You need to look for a church that is God-centered, God-centered, and not me-centered. You know what churches I'm talking about. You know people that are going, I got to go to church. I'm feeling down. I got to go to church. I need, I need to be, I need to be worshiped. Basically, that's what they're saying. And, and you stop them. You go, no, no, no. You're going to church to worship, to worship. See, it's not about you, even though you are blessed by him. You're going to a God-centered church, not a me-centered church. If you find a me-centered church, turn around and run. There are churches that, and pastors of these churches say, oh, I just don't want to say anything depressing. Uh, I don't want to tell them anything that's going to hurt their feelings, even though that's what the Bible does. Oh, I don't want to do that. They get that all week. I'm just going to give them a pat on the back, an attaboy, or a girl. And we're all singing, and we all go, and we don't learn anything, and we don't realize that we need, a, we need a Savior. We don't realize how broken we are, how broken everything is, and we don't draw nearer to him. That's, see, that's what you're, we're doing now. You're, you're walk with Christ. You draw, you're, you're engaged with him. But when you come to corporate worship, you are now surrounded by others who, who love Christ, who are in, who have who walk with Christ all the time, daily, throughout the day. They're tied to Christ. And so you're in this environment where the Holy Spirit is at work and where King Jesus is right now raised up high and lifted up and we're worshiping him. How can you help but not be impacted by that? You're drawn near to the, to the glory. Of course you're impacted by that. And everyone you bring feels it. I know that because I've heard about it. I know people that have brought their children who may not get their sermon that that pastor is preaching, but the Spirit comes upon them. And there's growth. And you can't explain it. You can't explain it. It is a God thing. A God thing. So it's got to be God-centered when worshiping. Our focus must be, and our attention must be on God. We must lose ourselves in Christ during worship. This church must also be gospel-driven. It must be Christ, gospel-driven, Christ-driven. This means that the preaching and the teaching of the church have to come from the Word of God found in the Bible, where Christ is the center where Christ is the focus. Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 24 that the entirety of Holy Scripture is about him. It's about him. It is the redemptive story of the Lord coming to redeem his people. And you're a part of that story. You're a part of that story. You could put your name in the Bible. You're a part of that. That's Christ-centered. You have to look for a church that's Christ-centered. He is the redeemer of his people, his church. So then, what do we do? How does this work out? Well, we reflect Christ. We have to relive our lives Christ-like because we want to. It is a joy to live our life reflecting him, 
being Christ-like. It, it, our life's not perfect, not on this side of glory. We, we can and do stumble, but we repent and believe in his promises. And along with being Christ-like, we must partake in the mission of the church, the commission that Christ gave the church to go out and make disciples. That is a church function. We do it together. We do it together. And we'll continue to do it together. The people of God are what make up the city of God in the here and now. Another thing we cannot forget when we're looking for that church, that true Christian church, is we have to look. We can, we can never condescend our, the teachings of the church. We can never lower, we can never water down the gospel message. If you go to a church that waters down the gospel message, so it will not be offensive to us, to people. That's not the right church. The gospel message is offensive because we're sinners. We're not in heaven. We're not perfect. It's telling us, hey, God is telling us there's something wrong with you, Manny. There's something wrong with the world. But I have overcome the world. And see, there's hope, there's joy. You know, it's offensive until you hear the complete message of God saying, I have come to rescue you, to save you for all eternity. And eternity starts now. You must be looking for a church that does not change the gospel message. See, we live in a society this society that we live in today calls good what is good. What God says is good. It calls it evil. And, it, and we live in a society that calls something wrong that God has said is right. We live in a culture that tells us that anything goes, anything goes, anything goes. And so we, marginal Christians, want to tweak our worldview so we can bring a worldview into the gospel, and it does not work. We submit. We must allow our focus of worship to be on the Lord. When we look for that perfect church, we let the Holy Spirit guide us and lead us to the place where he is taking us. So who are you when it comes to being a part of the body of Christ? Are you a part of the body of Christ? Are you getting the message out to those who need to be saved? You have been ordained by God to do that. commissioned by him to share Jesus with others for salvation's sake. So what do you need to hear? When you hear a message like this, even the, even the scripture that was read, well, you need to hear that you're not alone. You're not alone. God has saved you. But you're also a part of a bigger community, a church community. You're, you're a part of God's people. The purpose 
of Jesus' salvation is not just to save you. It is to form a new alternative world, society. Think about our loved ones. Think about our children, those of you who are older. Can you imagine what they're exposed to in school, in the world? They're telling them, like, if you want to do this, that's fine. Your parents can't say nothing. In California, they're passing laws to say the parent, if a child in school wants to change his or her gender, they cannot do it. The state steps in and pays for the operation. Can you imagine the wickedness of all that? That's what our children are exposed to today. God has come to rescue us. Thus says the Lord, you will be my people and I will be your God. There are no sweeter words spoken than that. This is an eternal hope that the Lord has given us. My friends, you may be going through something right now that feels insurmountable. You might be going through that. You may be going through something or have gone through something that has felt insurmountable. You may be at the point in your life where you don't know what to do next. You don't know what tomorrow brings. You just have no idea. Not only that, as you struggle with the things that this world calls life, you may be doing all the things right in your struggle right now. You may be doing all the things you're supposed to do that are supposed to be right to make things right, but everything is coming out wrong. Nothing is going right. Well, that struggle, that narrative is not unique to you. It's been going on since the fall. You remember the story of Peter in the Gospel of Luke. Peter and the fishermen, they went out. They went out fishing. They're professional fishermen. They were out fishing. They went at night because that was the best time to catch fish. They knew that. They would go out at night. They went out. They had the best tackle. They had the best rods. They had the best equipment. They knew all the best fishing techniques. They also knew all the great the best fishing spots on the Sea of Galilee. They knew where to go. They to, they're, they're biting over here. They're always biting here. They're always congregating here. They knew all the professional fishermen. They spent all night struggling, and they came back early the next morning. Nothing. Empty-handed. Everything went wrong. They were all frustrated. And Jesus is on the shore, and they come up to the shore, and they dock their boats, and they're cleaning their equipment on the boats, and Jesus steps into Simon Peter's boat, and he sits down, and he tells Simon Peter, hey, pull away from the shore so I can preach to the people, because there are people following Jesus. So Jesus starts teaching. Simon Peter is just over there mad, cleaning his net and whatever. Jesus finishes preaching, and he tells Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. Jesus was a carpenter. He don't know nothing about fishing. That's what he was thinking. Simon answers, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. There he goes. He's obedient. He, he's basically 
He was sarcastic and merely trying to pacify Jesus. A holy man, the rabbi. See, we do that. We do that in our lives. We are struggling, major struggles, and we do what we're supposed to do. We do the things we're supposed to do. We do the things that God calls us to do. We go through the motions. We do everything that we think we do, not really trusting, not really believing, but we're going through the motions so we can tell God when we pray. We did it. We tried. We did it. We did everything's failing. That's what Peter's doing. So Peter goes out and drops the nets, and what happens? You know the story. A large number of fish were caught in his net. There were so many fish that his nets, his nets start tearing. And he's calling out to his to his to his friends, his his partners in another boat. Come, uh, we're sinking here. And they come, and their nets get filled, and their nets start tearing. As they're coming to the shore, dragging their nets, avoiding being sunken into the water. Peter turns to Jesus and falls to the Lord's knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What happened? What happened there? Well, what happened was there was no power in the means. In other words, there's no power in just going through the motions. There's no power in just going out there fishing and doing all the right things, going to the right spots, doing, having the right equipment, having the knowledge of fishing. There's no power in that. None. None. No power. In all the things that we do, however correct that we do them, There's no power in the absence of Christ. Christ has to be with us. The Lord has to be our focus. When we go through the motions, we say, we trust you. We're not going through the motions. We love you. Our trust is in you. He has to be present. He was present with Peter and the other fishermen, and they just did what he called them to do. And they reaped in abundance. That's us. That's what we're to do. Christ must be the center of our life, no matter what's going on, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we have done. Jesus must be the center of our lives, and if so, he will make all things right. You're not alone. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord our God. Let us pray together. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.